So, any questions tonight about anything? Yes. I, I can ask warm-up question. I was reading little time a book by a secular psychotherapist who made um, kind of reference to religions in general and he made distinction between what he called Western religions and Eastern religions, meaning like Abrahamic religions and then like Eastern religions, which is clearly a wide concept. And he was saying that, uh, that one of the main differences between the two is that in Western religions the concept of faith is kind of uh, centralized in uh, dogmas and kind of like defending the right faith or right beliefs, whereas in Eastern religions more emphasis is put on the right lifestyle and uh, kind of like uh, the method of spirituality is more to like a dogmatic approach. So um, I was wondering how would you see this? Uh, it's of course uh, like a generalization. But, uh, mm -hmm. So if I understand correctly, his generalization was basically that Western religious traditions are more of a belief system, whereas Eastern traditions are more of a practice. Mm -hmm and lifestyle. Hmm? Um, yeah, it's quite a broad generalization and um, I would imagine that some people from the Western tradition would take exception to it, uh, but I think there's some, some, some truth to it. And an example of that that is uh, relevant is the, uh, um, the journey of um, what is his name, the Catholic monk? Thomas Merton. Thomas Merton uh, to the East for the express purpose of learning the practice hmm, and the techniques, uh, meditative techniques, yogic practice and so forth that are all um, geared towards exploring the inner Landscape, something that uh, that uh, his Catholicism identified with that there's an inner landscape, that there's a that there's a soul, an atma, um, um, and so forth. But in spite of his own monasticism and so forth, he felt a lacking at large within the community of of a focus and a practice that was so much uh, developed. And for centuries in the East, so he went and he and he um, stayed with the Buddhists and Hindus. He actually wrote a uh, endorsement for Prabhupada's first uh, Bhagavad Gita that was published by Macmillan, an abbreviated, uh, edited edition that first came out. Um, and he was very, um, in his time, he was very uh, kind of a figure who popularized the idea of monasticism within a. The Catholic Church, where you know they weren't getting a lot of new bhaktas, so to speak, <laughs> and a lot of new brahmacharis weren't, weren't coming in. So he, as a Catholic monk, felt um, um, something along those lines, hmm? and um, 
And that said, I think that Well, I, 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 comparatively, it's true that the Eastern traditions have much more focus on the technique and the methodology for uh, realizing something that's, that's, that it's also uh, more well-defined, better defined. So, for example, the soul. What, what is the soul? Hmm? Um, and there are different ideas. There's a Platonic idea and there's an Aristotelian idea within, within Catholicism. Platonic idea is probably closer to the Vedanta idea. There are neo, there's Neoplatonism that that arose in Europe that was very much like uh, uh, Vedanta. But there's more of a tendency, I would say, within Christianity and the Abrahamic religions to uh, identify the entire realm of the subjective with the Atma, something that Vedanta does not do. In other words, there's a mind, right, which is a subtle form of matter according to the yogic perspective. And it's not consciousness proper, but it is a, it's a subtle manifestation of matter that can reflect, as I often say, consciousness and take on a consciousness-like life, which is then your ego, your your whole identity, right, materially speaking, which is a, which is a subjective entity but we would say quasi-subjective. So there's a, there's more of a tendency to identify your feelings, your emotions, all these things w- with yourself, your Atman. That's what goes to heaven, so to speak, whereas your body may remain behind. Even then, of course, the bodies are buried in Christianity and probably in Islam too, at least in Christianity, with the idea that they'll resurrect at some point and become spiritual. Um, but uh, so they have a citadeha, you know, idea there in a, in, a, in a broader sense. But um, you know, back to your point, yeah, I think there's some there, 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 there's some truth to that. And here we have an example of Merton looking the East for such. We find in the Gita a um, interesting divide in the second chapter where Krishna begins to speak about the Atma, the inner landscape, the self. Mm-hmm. And he goes on for quite a number of verses about primarily the sat, what we would call the sat feature of the Atma, that it's eternal, as opposed to that which is temporal, ephemeral, everything else, here today and gone tomorrow. A very strong emphasis on that with a conclusion that it's, that, what can I say about it? He says, let's charge about it. It's amazing. The self is amazing. You're amazing. Yourself. Um, largely, that self, soul, atma is defined negatively, but what it's not, it's not this, it's not that, in that section of the Gita. And then there comes the, the, again, we come to the conclusion, it's amazing, and then there's the divide. And the divide is yoga. So from, from analytical kind of discourse, with our intellect, we kind of categorize things and make distinctions and so forth. So, with the intellect distinguishing 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 between the self and matter, identifying hmm? oneself with the self, you with the self, and so forth. Then, from that exercise, a practice comes. So, the, 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 about the thirty-ninth verse of a long chapter of the Gita, the second 
uh, chapter, he says, now we're going to now talk about yoga, which is the means to realize and experience that which I'm, I'm talking about, which is amazing, which is beyond words, so to speak. But there's a practice by which it can be understood and experientially. And so then the whole discourse about yoga begins in the middle of the second chapter, and it goes all the way up through the through the sixth chapter, and the, and, and and then in the seventh chapter, of course, the theology, and even then, in the seventh chapter, in the, in the center, six chapters, the twelfth chapter there, which would be the the last chapter of the theological section. It's all about bhakti yoga as well. So, um, so. Uh, Also, this divide, if you will, is very much um, mirrors the divide between the Indian Sankhya philosophy and the Indian yoga philosophy. Hmm? Two of the old ancient systems of philosophy in India, Sankhya and Yoga. Sankhya Karika, written by Ishwar Krishna, and Yoga Sutras written by Patanjali. And in the um, Sankhya text, we find a description of the Atma in terms of its being, or which is called, which is called Purusha there, um, in terms of distinguishing it from Prakriti, which would be matter. With no means to realize it other than you should know this, so to speak. Yoga text, then, is almost entirely about practice. In other words, the Sankhya text is almost entirely theoretical. And the Yoga text, Yoga Sutra, is almost entirely practical. So it's almost as if the two go together like the two sections of the second chapter of the Gita I'm talking about. Theoretical, he tells Arjun, you're a fool for thinking like this. You're actually different than the body. The self never dies. It can't be burned by water, or by fire, excuse me, drowned by the water, withered by the wind, so on and so forth. And then it's amazing. And then yoga, practice, how to realize it. Um, I think that there's a lack on both sides on the Abrahamic, tradi- Abrahamic traditions, a clear idea of what is the Atma. Hmm? The Gita says an idea of the Atma that is mixed with the body is a Rajasic idea of the Atma. Hmm? Looking at it from a, from a Rajaguna perspective, so, I mean, we'd have to look carefully. And, and then, of course, there's the kind of origins of Christianity and the desert, what are they called? Fathers, those type of um, mystics and so forth who are heavily, heavily into austerity and, and you know, okay, I'm not the body. I better live like that. Hmm? And reduce all bodily functions and and, and uh, rather than Increasing bodily necessities. It's, it's kind of the Gyani attempt to, to, to realize it. Something like the Buddha tried to do, well, in Siddhartha, or anyway. 
So um, aside from that, of course, the tradition develops over the years. It becomes a religion, and, 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 and uh, we'd have to look at the whole spectrum. But uh, I have a sense that in the beginning it was more of a sattvic idea of the, of the self, but it's not like brought out in the Bible. Hmm? The Bible you're asked to believe, really, which are the letters of the, of the apostles, in the miracle that was uh, of Jesus. That's the that's how does all the miracles of the pagan shamans of Europe, and should retire them. And, and, and now this this new miracle, miracle of all miracles, coming back from the dead. What more proof do you need? Somebody's come back from the dead that you live after death. Hmm? What that life after death is, it's almost like the Buddha, you know, doesn't talk about God. Is there God? That's not the issue. The issue is that you're suffering. Here's something to do, what to do about it. Hmm? The Buddha's answer to a lot of questions that are thorny, philosophically speaking, like, how did we get here? Where do we come from? Why are we suffering? Hmm? Is there God? His question, his answer to those questions were, your question is like having been shot by an arrow. Hmm? When someone goes to pull it out, asking them, hold on, how did it get here? Who shot it? Why did he shoot it? So you, you'll die in the process. So he's very, very pragmatic. Hmm? You're suffering, let's start there, and let's stop there. Bring an end to suffering. Suffering is caused by desire, so this is the problem. How to stop desire? Hmm? There's the right livelihood that will bring that about, gradually, and so forth. So, um, it's almost as if in Christianity, like, the miracle is just enough that someone has died and come back to life. And so, there you go. There's life after death. Believe it. We have reason to believe it. Our faith is not blind. It's, 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 our eyes have been opened by Jesus of Nazareth, the Christ, the christened one. Hmm? He has shown the way. He's demonstrated this. So we should worship him. We should believe in what he says. And then, okay, what, what, what does he say? And he says some good things. I mean, I never read the Bible, but one day before one of the Sunday calls, I, I was reading and I came across some sections of the Bible on, on the Internet. Now, they were really nice, you know, really well-grounded statements that were essential kind of spiritual ideas or, or ways to conduct yourself in the world that would be that would beget uh, the more to life that's hidden or lost in in um, otherwise in, in in material pursuit and acquisition and so forth. So I could see why people would, would read that as a, as young and think yes, this is true and hang on to that. Hmm? Um, despite arguments against and so on and so forth. Um, and so it would seem like the, the, the miracle was just like so powerful, and his person was so powerful for the original um, apostles and those who were, were in his presence. That it just, it's just kind of carried the day. So it's a belief. It's not a... Um, 
discourse on the nature of being. That's not what it is. It's a discourse on the nature of how you should how you should live in that in that sense. But what, you know, it's not like a philosophical discourse on the nature of being. What is consciousness? What's in there? What's out there? Who's asking the question? That kind of thing. Like I often say, the Bible's not like that, and I, and certainly the Quran's not like that. And um, I mean, I don't know much about Judaism. They have, but there are esoteric sections of all of all. You know, they have your Sufis, you have your Kabbalists in the Jewish tradition, you have your esoteric Christians, and so forth. And and what I see, of course, is is is, and I think it's objective that the, the more esoteric they become, the more they become like Hindus. And Buddha was a Hindu. That's an undeniable historical fact. He lived on the other side of the Hindus River, as they would refer to it, the invaders. Um, and he hasn't really said anything m- really more than what's um, said by the Gyanis. Forgo the Karmakanda section of the Vedas, which is, which is about material acquisition. That's not what religion is about. You should give up material desire. Anyway, he's a Hindu. And um, so I think, you know, the, 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 on, the, on the Christian side, um, you want to, and on either side, you're, you're going to get your experiencers. And those who are in the presence, and and maybe generation later or so, and it's going to carry, and then it's going to start to gravitate towards more of a religious orientation than what I call a spiritual, experiential or mystical orientation to the tradition. And so, you know, where you want to make a comparison on these two sides, you have to look at the whole spectrum of each. Um, even today, you know, you 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 can find swamis in Indian Hinduism who have political influence saying things like only Indian cows with humps are are real cows so other cows in the world are just like pigs they can be killed it's not a sin I mean you know what kind of understanding of ahimsa is that just to give you an example I heard recently so how so it can also get very far away from um a mystical, experiential orientation. Um, it's a little harder, I think, for Hinduism to get away from that. Hmm? It's a little harder. There are many more examples of, of, of sadhus, real sadhus, and there's a whole, you know, built into the literature, there's this whole emphasis on of mysticism and so forth. Hmm? It's clear that ultimately comes to that. Um, it was clear, I think, in Christianity, to the, to the, to, to, in the person of, of, of Christ, follow me, you know, what Christianity is, drop everything and follow me. But, I mean, that's, um, it's gotten away from that, so to speak. So, um, but, yeah, but, again, go back to the core, it's about believing in the miracle. Hmm? And um, it's almost as if, if believing is enough, because what else do you have to go on? Well, you have a right livelihood, perhaps, that Jesus talked about. Hmm? You have your commandments. Hmm? Basic, good, moral life. Um, 
that and believing. But the believing has sometimes eclipsed even the need for the moral life. So that just believing is enough. Because what more can you do? Is often the response. We're imperfect. Hmm? I was once at a at a country fair. In the United States, they have these country fairs, and people bring their livestock and their plants and things like that, and their awards and so forth. And so I was there looking at the cows and whatnot. And one guy had a booth, and he said, "Sir, can I have your? You know, I'd like to do a. Can you ask, answer a question for us?" And um, um, forget, I think I was in my traditional dress and so, anyway his question was we have one question and, and, and the question is have you ever sinned? of course everybody goes yes see, see this, that's the thing I can introduce you to a person who never sinned now will that be something? what do you think of that? Hmm? but the idea was not that he was an ideal to follow and become sinless, but that you could never be like that. <laughs> Therefore, just believe in him, and that will carry the day. Therefore, my inadequacies, in terms of following the light, like the right livelihood, the moral life that he advocated, don't have much bearing if I'm a believer. So it gets that extreme, hmm? where believing is an, becomes an excuse for moral um, lapses and, uh, uh, and so forth. So, um, you, you also have, I, I guess you could say, on the Eastern side, you have an emphasis on practice and technique that's there. Uh, in yoga, gyan, your asceticism, uh, you know, uh, the tapasvis and the austerities that they perform and, and so forth and so on, that it goes to extreme and excludes grace. Hmm? Right? It's all about technique. Hmm? As if you can, like, internally work, work your way into the into the kingdom of heaven, something like that. Bhakti, of course, being really the central thrust of Hinduism, if it's properly understood, of the sacred texts and so forth, uh, doesn't have that problem. It has its emphasis on, of course, we're perfect. <laughs> it has its emphasis on, on practice, and the practice and the effort is about positioning oneself to get more grace, so to speak. So grace is, is essential, and and practice is essential uh, as well. Um, the believing, Krishna gives a very good reason for believing in the theology of the Gita, which comes in the middle six chapters, and the, uh, the reasoning for it is there in, in the first uh, six chapters where he speaks about the self and, 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 and talks about the world in a way that you can see what he's talking about. Hmm, that makes sense, yeah. Attachment to things is the womb from which suffering comes. I never looked at it like that, but I can see that. I'm, I'm doing that. And now someone said it, and that, that's what I'm doing. Huh, you're right. So this kind of, this, this creates a belief, right? 
And then he talks about what you can't see himself. Of course, Arjun could see him, but Arjun, he's asking Arjun to see him now in a certain light. Arjun seeing him as a friend, that's another thing. Now he's talking about seeing him as God, from whom everything comes, on which everything is resting, like pearls on a thread, and so on and so forth. So that requires a theological eye, that requires a believing in something that you might not see. Even Arjun, of course, there's a rasic reason for that, of course, but that aside, Arjun's not seeing that he's God. I mean, for God's sake, he's his chauffeur. Your chauffeur has become his God. So that's a stretch. But he's so much opened Arjun's eyes at this point and taken him from, from Dharma. And the height of Dharma and inquiry into Dharma and being a morally right person that Arjun was. And from the Dharma Shastra, he's giving all the reasons why he shouldn't participate in the, in, in, in the, in the struggle, in the battle. So he was very well schooled in Dharma. And from that height of inquiry into Dharma, Dharma Jignasu, Krishna says, it's time for Brahma Jignasu, the second chapter when he begins to speak. Inquiry into, into the nature of Brahman. Not just being morally sound, but what are you? Hmm? Something with a capital G good, as I sometimes say. Take us beyond the small g good. And so he, you know, again in this, these chapters, early chapters, six chapters, he, he, he he awakens faith in Arjuna and what he's saying. So by the time he's talking about himself as God, Arjuna has reason to believe that this person knows something. Hmm? He's incredible. Hmm? Um, and then, of course, then the, the practice for realizing him is really the central focus as well. Bhakti is the central focus of the middle six chapters, hmm? ending as they do with the twelfth chapter. It's entitled Bhakti Yoga. Hmm? So, um, so we recommend Bhagavad Gita <laughs> to everyone listening. It's a good, a good read. Um, but, uh, but I think that that it is a generalization. But the, but there is some some truth to that. And um, and it's a it's a pity that it's not. Um, That well understood, and there's not that much meaningful dialogue even between the different traditions. Of course, where there is, and then you, you know, then you find a commonality and and uh, mutual respect and so forth. Does that help? Yeah. Can I ask uh, something along the lines that you mentioned, how uh, the development of Krishna's seeing, or Arjuna's seeing Krishna as his friend rather than the Aishwarya majesty. Um, when I practice, uh, I mean the Vaidhi part, um, how does the Vaidhi develop into this friendship? 
seeing Krishna as, as your friend, and and what what is the function of of seeing him as a friend in a state of ideas? You're supposed to just kindle that Aishwarya aspect and sort of see the majesty, like suggested in the second beginning, a second canto, couple first chapters are all about seeing the the Swarupa uh, uh, everywhere. So well, one thing about those chapters is that all the chapters of the Bhagavatam are not speaking about that which you, as a devotee, should embrace. Hmm? Mm-hmm. But Sukadeva is speaking to different people in the audience with different levels of eligibility and explaining um, his higher vision in lower ways, hmm? so to speak, to who, people who have less eligibility. And then in some sections of the Bhagavatam, you're going to find the actual advocacy of Ahaituki Bhakti, Vaidhi Bhakti, Prahlad, and so forth, Rag Bhakti. Um, so just to um, preface my reply with regard to the, you're mentioning those, those, those chapters of the Bhagavatam. Um, properly understood in context, the Bhagavatam is like the Gita. It speaks about this is Jnana Yoga, this is Karma Yoga, this is Astanga Yoga, this is Bhakti Yoga. When it's talking about Karma Yoga, Jnana Yoga, in one sense it's talking about disciplines for people who don't have eligibility for Bhakti, because they don't have the requisite faith in Krishna that he advocates at the end of the end of the Gita. Sarvadharman, Pratyaja, Mami, come, take shelter of me alone. Um, but also, what he's doing there is speaking about Bhakti indirectly. Hmm? This is Bhakti, this is like got some bhakti in it, but it, you know, and 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 then you you're supposed to figure out why. Well, that you see that that's not. I should just do bhakti. Hmm? Uh-huh. And this is how you begin, so forth. So, uh, same with the Bhagavatam, right? Hmm. So every verse in the Bhagavatam is not speaking to you what you should do necessarily, or how you should necessarily think, but, but you have to look at it as, as a composite, right? Um, then you get you'll get the essential idea. And then so then you have texts like Chaitanya Charitamrita that bring out the essence, the distilled essence of the Bhagavatam. What verses from the Bhagavatam it quotes. Hmm? Ah, the, the, you know, then you, you, Krishna Das has selected those or the Sandarbhas of Jiva Goswami. It's all about he's stringing together a whole bunch of verses from the Bhagavatam hmm? to make the concerted point. Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Krishna is the supreme personality of God, which is what your question's about. Krishna's God. Well, in the Gita, Krishna says, "Aham I'm the source of everything. Everything comes from me. Knowing this, he said, hmm? um, what is it? He says, he says, Aham he says, I'm the source of everything. Then he says it indirect, directly, or in another way. Everything's coming from me. Hmm? He emphasizes the point. And those who know this, they have, what he's saying there, in place, something that you need in order to worship me and attain me in Rag Bhakti. Hmm? In fact, Sridhar Maharaj uh, rendered the, the verse, Iti Mat Babajan Temam 
Raga-bhava-samambhita. Hmm? Buddha-bhava-samambhita. Versus Buddha-bhava-samambhita. So, what Krishna is saying is that in order to attain Braj-bhakti, where Krishna is not the Supreme Personality of Godhead, right? He's your friend. Or he's your lover. This is what your question is about. You have to know that he's the source of everything. That he's the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Because then... If you understand that argument properly, then you know, here is where to give myself entirely. Hmm? There's nowhere else that I can give myself entirely and get the um, corresponding response. If I should give myself entirely to Krishna, even, even as a lover, I can, he can reciprocate. Even as a friend, right? Hmm? Narayan can't do that. Hmm? Right? Varaha can't do that. Hmm? Vishnu can't, can't do that. So, theologically speaking, Krishna is being, speaking about himself there, he's saying what Rupa Goswami says at the beginning of his book, Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, Akila Rasamrita Murti. Krishna is the form of all Rasas, all possibilities of loving rapport. Hmm? So you have to get, in other words, if you want to love without any um, condition, unconditional love, there's two things you need. First of all, you need the source or the repose, that which you can repose your love in, hmm? that can reciprocate. So I could give unconditional love to something or someone who can't reciprocate and it's going to fall a little bit flat. Hmm. I'm not going to realize that the giving is the getting entirely. Hmm. Of course, the giving can refine your its object in time, hmm. however you give, somehow or other, if you continue to do so. And it's, ultimately, Krishna is the perfect object. So this is important. You have to know... Krishna's two Bhagavan swipes, so I know I can give to here. So that's then you also have to give without any expectation of return, without any for for its own sake. And so, so those are the two things, right? Hmm? So the first one, therefore, there's such an emphasis in Gaudiya Vaishnavism on Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. This is the centerpiece of the uh, you know the, of the foundation of the Bhagavatam, the, the philosophical foundation. Krishna hmm, is the source. So. Um, you know, so you, you have that in place. You're following um, Vaidhi Bhakti, but you are following Vaidhi Bhakti not with a view to attain love and Aishvarya, but with a view to attain, for example, love of Krishna, love of Krishna in fraternity, let's say, like Arjun, or like um, Sridham, Sudam, Krishna's friends, right? In Braj. Let's say that's that that's your ideal. So that kind of vaidhi bhakti. There's another word term for it. We sometimes refer to it as ajata ruchi rag bhakti. It's raganuga bhakti, but it's not driven by taste right now. But that's your ideal. So it, it can't be vaidhi bhakti unto itself, which has the ideal of loving God and Aishvarya, Vishnu, Narayan, right? So it's 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 it's. Um, it's a unripe 
stage of rag practice. We, uh, different acharyas have sometimes referred to it as, as vaidhi bhakti, given this context, right? That I'm, I'm explaining it in. So, that's what you're doing, correct. Hmm? So, um, um, So we do that, but we also know what our goal is, hmm? and we hear then about that goal, about those people of Braj, what they're like. Hmm? We hear from the Bhagavatam, we read the Bhagavatam, and, and um, those sections describing those people. Hmm? And so we naturally, in the course of hearing, and of course associating with those who have that ideal, it becomes infectious. It becomes it becomes our ideal, knowingly or unknowingly. It just it's unavoidable, hmm? and we don't have to make any kind of artificial adjustments, so to speak. It comes to naturally, but we focus where we are. We we don't think I heard this, so today I can tell Krishna, shut up. What do you know? Hmm? I'm stronger than you. You're not going to do that, right? Hmm. So, well, we have our deity here, for example. It's Krishna and Balaram. Hmm. But we worship them with some Aishvarya, right? Hmm. As, as the Supreme Personality of the Valley of God. Who, who we want to become the friend of. Like Sudam. Like Sridham. Hmm. Like their representation in the Guru Parampara. Hmm. So we want to become like them. So we have them in mind also. And we revere their love. We think, your love is very, that love is very high. So I worship that love. I will not think I have that love and artificially pretend that to be the case and cheat myself. I will think, Krishna is the Supreme Personality of God, and these people love him like this. Wow. They are my ideal. I worship them. Hmm? How will I worship them then? A good way is through kirtan and explaining this to other people. How high is the Rag Bhakti? How high is the dispensation of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu? Hmm? How distant it is and how graceful he is hmm? to make it available to us. Uh, and then they'll think, oh, he understands. This is not, this is not a cheap thing. Hmm? So Sridham, Sudam, they'll think, oh, he's... Like Sukadev said in Bhagavatam, oh my God, he said, who are these boys playing with Krishna in this way? who is thought of, Krishna, who is thought of as by the jnanis like this, by the yogis like this, by the vaidhi bhaktas like this, and they are wrestling with him hmm? and defeating him. And he went into a trance. Hmm? And Nard had to do kirtan to bring him out so he could continue speaking the Bhagavatam. Hmm? So this was the approach of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. We will worship Krishna as the Supreme Personality of God, but, and more so, we worship the friends of Krishna, the lovers of Krishna, hmm? 
and that ideal that they have and pray that that ideal will come within me. So I have the ideal. Hmm? Meanwhile, um, um, uh, I don't artificially try to step into it. Does that help? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then in time, the, you, you find yourself actually have some feelings for Krishna. Then, then bhajan, then the practice can be adjusted accordingly. Hmm? But, um, but yes, to hear about them, to hear about them, be charmed by them. Hmm? I am. I am. <laughs> there you go. So it's working. What else? Yes. Uh, you mentioned a saragrahi. I think it was the Vikriti Ladini Shakti Rasman. I think it was that, that it's a compound and one should not separate it because then it becomes wrong or something like that. But you didn't explain why. And oh, yeah. Was it that one? Or was it yeah. There's the verse by Sri Goswami that's quoted by, by Krishna's Kaviraj Goswami in his uh, sacred preface. Mongol Charn of Chaitanya Charitamrita. Radha Krishna Pranay Vikriti Lalini Shakti Rasmad. Radha Krishna Pranay. Krishna Pranay Vikritir. Vikritir. What that's about is that somebody who has a Sanskrit degree from a major university and has some idea of westernizing Krishna consciousness. Um, someone brought my to my attention a post that he this gentleman made on the internet in which he took that verse and used it to prove by his grammatical explanation that there is no such thing as Bhakti Devi, or that Bhakti is the internal power of Krishna. Hmm? Um, and he gave a very unorthodox, really heterodox, theological explanation of the verse that at the same time, despite his degree in Sanskrit, was absolutely grammatically wrong. Hmm? Because he didn't look at the words uh, Krishna Pranay Vikritir as a compound word. Hmm? And not looking at them as a compound word, I think he took the word Pranay separately and, and then he tried to make his explanation. Now, I'm not a Sanskrit scholar, but our Shastarani is. So I sent it to him. I said, obviously, this is theologically nuts, but. And even in the text, in the Bengali of Krishnadas, several verses down, he says, exactly what the verse means, <laughs> which is Radha Krishna Pranay Vikadir Ladini Shakti Radha is uh, Krishna Pranay Vikritir, also known as Ladini Shakti. It means Radha is Krishna Pranay Vikritir. Vikritir means transformation. Pranay means love. Krishna means Krishna. So love, the transformation of love of Krishna. Hmm? That is Radha, also known as Ladini Shakti. Hmm? The verse goes on to say, and those, the one became two, 
Krishna became Radha and Krishna, and the two now have again become one as Chaitanya, and he's giving this to the world. So it was in, in reference to to that. Bhakti Devi Kijaya. And it's it's also in reference to the idea that the um, that bhakti is not inherent in the jiva. This this gentleman has some idea like bhakti. It's just like devotion to to this or that, or now devotion to Krishna. I have devotion to my family. I have devotion to my country. I have devotion to my trade. Now I have devotion to Krishna. So he sees devotion, in this sense, bhakti as a as a as a shakti of the tat of the jiva in in a sense, without even using those those terms, which is which is in, which is incorrect, because all of those devotions, if you will, to your trade, to your country, to your whatever it may be, are all within the concept of of what yourself is under the influence of Maya Shakti and your attachments. Hmm? So it's um, you can't really love unconditionally under the conditional conditioning of material nature, which in, 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 in inevitably makes one um, selfish to one extent or another. There are, there's a whole spectrum, of course, from gross to subtle. So, um, to come out from underneath that, then there's a possibility of actually loving. That's why bhakti, one of the reasons why bhakti is a post-liberated expression. Hmm? That this distinguished, because now the object of love is entirely different. It's not of this world. Hmm? I'm, I love, I'm devoted to this manifestation of material nature, that manifestation of material nature. Based on the sense of myself as a particular, which is a particular manifestation of material nature. Um, these are all, this is all karma. Hmm. It's all subtle. It may be in some instances more gross, it may be in others. Um, uh, selfishness or, or, or material desire, this part of, it's all part of the problem. Hmm. So, that's not what bhakti is. And again, back to your question, the object of bhakti, Krishna, is entirely different. It's otherworldly. Mm-hmm. And then the means to the means by which we interact with him cannot be the same means by which we 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 we, we perpetuate our conditioning. My devotion to my trade, my devotion to my country, my devotion to whatever manifestation of the material world there may be, is the fostering and perpetuating of my own bondage. It's tricky. I mean, I'm devoted to my partner and I want to be selfless, but the whole idea is is arising out of of, uh, material conditioning. So it's not going to get you the same result. Um, it's possible that, as I say, that by trying to give imperfectly, you can your object in which you repose your giving can can, can be refined by the act of 
of giving in, of course, sadhusanga. Without sadhusanga, there's no bhakti. So sadhusanga is bringing something from the other worlds. That's not bringing something from this world. Right? There's the flow of karma in the world, and there's the flow of bhakti in the world. They're different. They're not the same. You're not going to get bhakti out of karma. That's not possible. So, so Krishna has an internal energy, and that's what drives his leela. That's that's bhakti. That comes to us from the other side. They may look similar, but they're different. Two types of conditioning. So conditioning is conditioning, but they have different effects. One is causes bondage. One causes liber- freedom, liberation, and love. Follow. Sadhu Sangha is said to be the birth of bhakti, so it's got to be different than anything else you do in the world, right? Without Sadhu Sangha, you, you can't have bhakti. Of course, you can say, well, the Sadhu is coming just to tell you, instead of being devoted to, to your country, be devoted to Krishna. That's true. He does tell you that. doesn't make bhakti a shakti of the jiva. What else? In replying to Haripriya's question, you said at the end that the higher you get and closer to mysticism in whatever tradition, the closer you get to Hinduism. And, and that, in some ways, it sounds a little bit like this perennial philosophy as well. So what would you say are the shortcomings of, of the perennial idea? Uh-huh. Well, I'm, I would say I'm a perennialist in the Zainer sense of the term rather than Huxley's sense of the term, to use modern people um, of the 20th century who uh, invoked the term. The term doesn't begin there. It uh, has its uh, origins much further back, centuries back, within Catholicism, actually. Um, But Huxley advocated, and he has a book called The Perennial Philosophy, I believe, and there... It, the book really takes all the mystical paths and they all are expressions of the perennial philosophy which all culminates in a um, indistinct, indeterminate, absolute. And all of the practices which are different are all culturally based, which are transcended. Hmm? So all the pra- practices are... So it's basically a Mayabad idea. The Mayabadis say, all the practices are good, you know, they're all relative, they all lead to the same place, ultimately give them up, and we all sit in Brahman. Hmm? So Zainer's response to that was more of a theistic 
view of perennialism, which recognized that there are currents of this esoteric, to use my term, ego-effacing um, idea that culminates in enlightenment, penetration into transcendence. And basically, if you want to take, elaborate upon that, what, what he's saying is that, that the transcendence is variegated. And so there are different approaches to it, and they afford different experiences within transcendence, all of which are ego-effacing, all of which have so much in common with one another, and so, but are ultimately, new in a nuanced way, different within transcendence. Hmm? That uh, um, gives more respect to the different traditions, obviously, which is basically they say they have their goal, it's, it's like this, and, and okay, we, we accept, accept your goal. Ego-facing. If it's ego-facing, so um, uh, Bhakti Vinod should be seen as as such, that type of perennialist, um, and um, and for that matter, we find the same thing in Chaitanya Charitamrita. In the Mongol verses of Chaitanya Charitamrita, we have the verse. Yaradvetum Brahmapanasharai Tadapi Asyatunuba Atvantariyami Purusho Itisho Shamsavibhava Sadaishvarya Purnasiha Bhagavan Swayamayam Chaitanya Krishna Chagati Paratatvam Paramiha. He's saying there, Krishna Skaviraj, now he's using broad terms out of Hinduism. There is Gyan, which is a esoteric ego facing path. There is yoga, which is an esoteric ego-facing path, and there is bhakti. Karma is another thing. That's not that karma path is not ego-facing. It's not. It's a perverti might smart path of acquisition with a license to acquire, a license to acquire, and then this is all nivriti mark, foregoing the material acquisition in pursuit of the inner inner landscape, right? So he's saying Gyan, Yoga, and Bhakti. And he, and, he, and he says, and they have corresponding faces in transcendence. Brahmapanishadi-tarapya-asyatanubhā. He says, he's speaking about Krishna, who he says, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the same Krishna, and he says, the tanuba, the the, the 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 aura coming from his tanu, from his body, is the goal of the jnanis, described in the Upanishads, undifferentiated Brahman. That's his halo. And then he says, the, his partial manifestation appearing in his heart, in the heart, and the world soul, the paramatma. That is, that is his partial manifestation, is the goal of the yogis. And in his fullest sense, he is, uh, he is Krishna, Sadaishvara Yapurna, 
fuller than Narayan even, as the object of love. And that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is the same. So he is saying that there are different paths. And they afford different experiences within transcendence. To go further, of course, we say, um, and there's a, there's there's Vaidhi Bhakti's ideal, there's Rag Bhakti, within Rag Bhakti there's Ra, there's Madhuri Rasa experience, the Sakya Rasa experience, the Vatsalya Rasa experience. So we're very much uh, advocating a variegated nature to transcendence. And then as far as the faces of God go, Bhagavatam says they are um, asankhya, countless. Hmm. So what, what you set up there, what's being set up there is that there's this variegated nature of transcendence. The faces of God are unlimited. If your path is grace-based, hmm, along with the requisite effort, hmm, it can... Uh, and it's ego-effacing, it can afford you a face of the absolute in transcendence. And um, so you're asking, what's the downside of perennialism? Well, I think that um, from our vantage point, we think, for good reason, that the ideal of Gaudiya Vaishnavism, it's a shame that if people only attain Paramatma, if people only attain Brahman, it's it's a pity, given the, the opportunity that's being afforded them. Um, that's kind of a you could say it's a relative view, but we could give a good argument. And, you know, of course, of course, we do, but not to the point of necessarily interfering with someone's faith. I mean, Krishna Kaviraj Goswami gives a long argument in Chaitanya Charitamrita in the second chapter as to why Krishna is the supreme object of love, and how Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is that same Krishna. But then in the end, he says, "But some people say that he's just the expansion of of, of Mahavishnu, and yeah, that's true too. So you can look at him that way if you want as well." It's not the way I'm looking at it. It's not what this book is about, but but that is that's also true. So if you want that, so he's he's saying to the Ramanujas there, if you want that, you know, okay, but I'm offering you something else here. I don't just dismiss what you're saying. Don't dismiss what I'm saying. Listen carefully. Pay attention here. I know what he says. I know it's controversial, but if you don't shy away from controversy, it can it can come to strengthen your your understanding. So. Other than that, what are the shortcomings of perennialism? I think there's a real shortcoming in perennialism, perennialism when it's looked at from Huxley's point of view. That's that, and that's the more popular vein mm-hmm, of perennialism today. Mm-hmm. It all ends in, in an undifferentiated Brahman. All the practices are just relative and culturally um, born within this world and so forth. We would look at it more like They're reflections of a, of a feature of transcendence, hmm? partial manifestations of an aspect of transcendence, Krishna Leela. Hmm? I mean, it's an interesting discussion, and I had a long discussion recently. I'm on the way to, down to San Francisco with, with Guru Nishta. We will get into these discussions all the time. 
but the uh, you know the people do get tripped up on this or Hindu it's cultural it's you know it's just a Hindu thing it's just an Indian thing you know over there and I'm not Indian and uh, how does that all work and, and so forth um, and one of the ways to answer that is we don't say that that's the only way if you want to you want to worship God and envision God differently there are different visions to be had. But is your path ego-effacing, actually? That's a good question to start with. And how good is your explanation? I mean, it's pretty hard. I mean, look what's out there. The descriptions of the nature of transcendence. I mean, what do you find in Sufism? What do you find in in Advaita, what do you find in esoteric Christianity? Hinduism really kind of picks up where that leaves off. Even the descriptions of, of Narayan's abode in in uh, in uh, Ramanuja Sampradaya, for example, that's well, just fascinating descriptions, of d- details, and so who are the, who are his assistants and how things work there and so forth. And then you got Goloka. So these are you know it's you know you want to say why we have to think of it like that? Well, you don't have to, but Let's hear how you're going to think about it. We do have some sadhus who have thought about it like this, and they have, they're very credible in terms of their example. That's what's available in the world. Why look at it as India as, as different? It's our planet. <laughs> got to, he's got to appear somewhere, right? And then there will be a culture that forms around that, right? So maybe he does look like that. <laughs> <laughs> Why call it Indian? Hmm. Um, but you know, I don't. I, you know, if you think if you're if you're a Catholic saint and your ideas, archangels and uh, and I don't say that you don't you don't experience them. Hmm. That's not what I'm interested in. But but um, I would, certainly they there are some extraordinary saintly figures in that. That tradition. So, a fellow asked me recently, you know, you know, I believe in this, but he was saying, I'm not sure I do. <laughs> Why is it right? You know, I mean, I, I know that's a philosophy, but is it? Right? And so I just said, well, basically, here's your choices. Yeah. There are ego-effacing paths that. That speak about transcendence and that, that, that you're, you're not the body, and then there's materialism and, and, and they have different forms. Which one do you want? Mm-hmm. Okay, if you don't, if you don't, if materialism doesn't resonate with you, that life is meaningless, purposeless. There's no right or wrong action. There's no right or wrong thought in any absolute sense. It's just dust in the wind. That's all there is. If that resonates with you, well, good luck. You know, then you better go there. Good luck with it. But good luck walking your talk. You're not going to be able to do that, so nothing matters, right? Try to live like that. If the leading advocates of materialism would walk their talk and say that nothing matters, I mean, they'd be arrested. You can't promote that as an ideology. Anyway, they, they prepare their ways of talking about it, but at any rate, if that's your choice, that's your choice. You want to talk philosophy. Then, in, in philosophically speaking, on the theistic side, there's a whole spectrum. What's out there? You've got to distinguish on the theistic side. 
imitation um, and uh, you know just narcissism in the name of religion and so forth from actual spiritual practice again that's ego effacing and then there you know there are different there's a handful of them traditions over the centuries we don't have to be like really perplexed what is the nature of enlightenment there was a guy that had a magazine some years ago what is enlightenment like well it's absence of this and you know greed and lust avarice let's start with that you know harnessing the human passions rising above them it's very pragmatic very basic but and then what's the nature of the possibility of experience that what people have harnessed have talked about it in different ways this is what they say um, so yeah, you can go to the whirling dervish loka or <laughs> archangel meet Peter and Paul why not they've resurrected by now or whatever or you can go to Ryan's abode. I mean, the people that are talking about this are not ordinary people. They're not to be dismissed. And we say, of course, with regard to Krishna Lila, that what they say, what Rupa Goswami says, what Sanatana Goswami says, what Krishna Kaviraj Goswami says, or more contemporary teachers in our line say, is about them is 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 just the tip of the iceberg. They're just giving an idea. They, they, they're, they're trying to talk about the fact that there's transcendence in its ultimate expression involves reciprocal dealings with the Absolute. Hmm? They can be intimate. Hmm? Intimate. And if we were to compare them, we'd say, like a lover, like a friend. Hmm? And and then they talk about how they experienced it with all the details and so forth. So it's more than the, what they've talked about. It's bigger. But it's not useful at the same time to say, oh, to be a friend with Krishna means just a pulsating friendship without cows and without all the intrigue of Braj and, and, and so forth. This is making, making fraternal love concrete. See, we can talk about it as an abstract idea. If you're too caught up with details, make it seem small to me and less spiritual. Then for you, we can expand it by speaking about it in more abstract terms. Reciprocal dealings with the absolutes and intimacy of like waves of fraternity or romanticism. You know, whatever that means, but it, it, you know, it, just you're saying we're limited in what we can say about it, but to make make some comparison, then it just becomes this: what it has to be, if you look at it from a chintibeta bait perspective. But now, if you want to make that concrete, then it takes a shape. Right? Hmm. 
and then and 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 to and to, and to, and to experience it. So so, and these Goswamis, their experiences, they're talking about it like this. So it's really not making it less; it's making it bigger. Hmm? Just like if I have an idea of a of a of a song or of a of a painting, but then I put it on this canvas or I put it to the to the cello, you know, then it doesn't become less. Right? It becomes more. So <laughs> So what is the downside of perennialism? Uh, in one sense there's there's no downside, but then in another sense, one, one might feel our ideal is better. <laughs> but you should feel like that. Everybody should feel their ideal is the best. So we can challenge it. Are you sure that's the best? If you feel strongly about it, then, then go for it. Mm-hmm. If not, well, you can change course and come to Krishna. <laughs> Does that help? All right, I think we'll stop there. Sri Krishna Balaram, Jai Jai, Madhavan Ki Jai.